0: Pastor Ed Taylor reminds us God has given us the power to overcome any sin that we're entangled in today. Oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I can quit any time.
1: Well, then quit in the power of Jesus Christ. Oh, you know, I'm I'm not really addicted to pornography. I could quit at any time. Well, then quit in the power of Jesus Christ. Stop talking about it and yield. Oh, I'm not in bondage to that. Well, then stop and submit yourself to the Lord. He's given you the power. And you can list it. I listed the three popular ones, but you can list your own. I'm not in bondage to unforgiveness. I'm not in bondage to bitterness. I'm not in bondage to gossip or whatever it might be. Well, then praise God. You know the truth, and Jesus has set you free. Then leave here today in the freedom that the Lord has given you.
0: This is amazing grace. For me. Are you struggling with a particular sin right now? Maybe you lose your temper quite easily, or you look at things you shouldn't. Today, on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor points us to the freedom that can be found in Christ. It's part of our new series in 2 Kings. Today, we spotlight chapter 13. God has given you
1: and me the victory, but what do we choose to do? Listen, there isn't anyone in this room that hasn't described a part of their life as struggling. But we need to understand that we choose to struggle the power of god is in us he's ready to deliver us even now to renew our minds and transform our hearts from our present condition he's ready now to raise up a deliverer in your life and mine to deal with the issues that you're dealing with god has not only provided you a deliverer but he sent his only begotten son personally to deliver you by name, to give you a full deliverance. Would you turn over to John chapter 8 so that we might be reminded today of the delivering power of God? Before I misunderstood, I recognize the battle and the struggle. I have my own. And so there are on those occasions, though, where a strong word of exhortation is needed to remind us that some of us choose to struggle. Some of us choose to stay in that place. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of our bad decisions. And what happens? We're deceived. Ultimately, we're self-deceived. When Jesus, he speaks to us of this glorious freedom that's ours in Christ. Notice in John chapter 8, pick up in verse 31. Jesus says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and notice what the truth will do. The truth will make you, what does your Bible say? Free. Do you have that highlighted yet? Do you have it circled yet? Have you tattooed, if you guys like tattoos, is it tattooed somewhere on your arm? The Lord has made me free. By faith, Jesus Christ has made me free. And they answered him, they resisted it, as many do today. We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Is that true? Of course that's not true. They're not speaking the truth. The whole history of the children of Israel is one of bondage. I mean, go back into the very beginning in in the garden. Adam and Eve chose to be in bondage to the lies of the devil. But then when you think of the nation, the nation was in bondage for years and years and years to Egypt. But in their mind, they were very careful in how they remembered things. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, and here's the struggle. Here's the root of your struggle. You ready? Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. But a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free you shall be free indeed. And I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. The very source of freedom, God, Jesus gave them a word of knowledge of what was going on in their heart, a discerning of the spirits. You want to kill me. My word doesn't abide in you. You don't experience my freedom. A disciple abides in the words of Jesus. And that's why we gather together in larger groups, and smaller groups. It's why we do our devotions in the morning. It's why we read the Bible, why we send out scriptures, why we have scriptures pop up on our phone and reminder. Why? Because we want to abide in the Word. The word abide means to stay put. We want the Word of God to come into us. We want it to change our minds. We, we want to have our faith built up, and we learn in Romans that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. That's why we gather together. That's why we own Bibles. That's why we're, we're seeking to be in God's Word. Why? Because we know that as we're disciples of Jesus Christ, a disciple abides in the Word, and those that will abide in the Word are disciples of Jesus. And in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit that gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words that I've spoken to you are Spirit and in life. Have you ever considered that when you open the Bible, you are receiving life? Was you reading the Bible. Even the parts you don't understand. Even the things, you know, you're going through the Old Testament book, you don't quite understand it. You don't quite grasp the content. But you're reading God's Word by faith, and the words that are spoken to you are spirit and in life. As we're going to learn this coming weekend, in Hebrews chapter 4, we learn that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's one of the reasons why people don't open it, because it cuts right to the heart of issues. It doesn't take you on a trip around. It takes you right to the heart. And cuts right to the point. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, being changed over and over. And this gives us context for the person that's set free, It's not just any truth when it comes here. If you shall, verse 32, know the truth. It's not just any truth. It's not just a truthful statement. But it's the truth given to us by Jesus Christ. The inspired word. You know, many universities, many secular universities have actually used this verse as a way to encourage their students to come to school. That you're going to come to school, to university, to college... And you're going to learn the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. That is a misquote of the Bible. But the real truth is, is that when you learn the truth of God's love for you and His sacrifice through Jesus Christ, you'll learn the teaching and the knowledge and the understanding of who Jesus is. You will be set free from your bondage. You'll be set free from your sin, and you will experience eternal life and an eternal life with God. And eternal, you know what it means? Forever forever and ever and ever. The power of the freedom is in God's word. It's not in man's word. It's not in man's interpretation. It's not in man's understanding. In Romans chapter 1, verse 6, 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. Paul lived with the knowledge that the word of God, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. But be careful in not thinking that the power of God's word is found in just sitting and listening. Because when we learn God, remember, the power in God's word is sitting, listening, getting up and obeying. (laughs) That's the real, the, the word of God in action. So yeah, it's sitting, standing, and listening, but it's also moving out and obeying. And here they are resisting it in verse 33. They're resisting it. They're kind of looking at it from their own perspective and go, wait a minute, we've never been in bondage anyway. We don't need to be free. But that's only because they didn't understand their current condition. They didn't understand the fallenness of man. They took exception with the word free. You know, pride can so blind us to the truth and to the reality of the facts before us. they have never been in bondage, but the history of the children of Israel, they were in bondage to Egypt, to Assyria, to Babylon. At the moment that Jesus is speaking this in John chapter 8, aren't they in bondage to someone else? Rome! There are people that are in bondage to another country, to the ruler of the world, and they're looking Jesus in the eyes, they say, we're not in bondage to anyone. But the whole purpose, you know, the whole misunderstanding of the coming of Messiah was built and predicated upon the bondage of Rome because the Jews alive at this time in the first century when Jesus was alive and teaching during his ministry were desperate for Messiah to come and rescue them from the bondage of Rome. And that's why Jesus coming as a sheep, as a lamb in his first coming, one that was, came to be sacrificed completely through them because they were expecting the conquering king. Why? because they were in bondage. And I think it's a warning for us, it's a warning for you, it's a warning for me of the insidiousness of pride in our lives and how easy it blinds us. We need to be careful not to fall headlong into our own pride that we don't see our daily need for Jesus Christ either. Oh, I'm not an alcoholic, I can quit any time. Well, then quit in the power of Jesus Christ. Oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really addicted to pornography. I could quit at any time. Well, then quit in the power of Jesus Christ. Stop talking about it and yield. Oh, I'm not in bondage to that. Well, then stop and submit yourself to the Lord. He's given you the power. And you can list it. I listed the three popular ones, but you can list your own. I'm not in bondage to unforgiveness. I'm not in bondage to bitterness. I'm not in bondage to gossip or whatever it might be. Well, then praise God. You know the truth, and Jesus has set you free. Then leave here today in the freedom that the Lord has given you and his strength. But pride will blind us from that. We need his daily power in our lives. God didn't just give us power to save us. He also gave us power to change us. And there are a couple of technical biblical words for that. First of all, the power to save us is the word Justification where God has changed us and we've been justified. We're now the way that God sees us as if we never sinned. But then the process of change and the power of God to change us daily, moment by moment, is a Bible word known as sanctification. And so we don't just need power to be saved, the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the strength of God, the wisdom. We don't just need it to be saved and born again, but we also need it day by day, moment by moment. We never outgrow the power and the grace of God. And then finally, we need the power of God to make it into heaven, to to make it all the way, to to arrive at the end of our destination, not only to finish our race well here on earth as it relates to men, but to end up in the presence of God. And that's a Bible word known as glorification. And see, the power of God sustains us all the way through. I was just listening on the way in uh, to the office today, a Bible study from Pastor Chuck, And it was so encouraging that I'm going to be repeating it more and more. And that Pastor Chuck just reminded us that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And and his application was clear. He says, you know, God didn't bring you this far just to drop you. Wherever you are and whatever it is, God hasn't brought you this far to say, oh, it's going to stop short. Oh, I may have got you this far. You're 75% there. You're on your own. No way. He who began a good work in you. How many here has God had begun a good work in you? Just say Amen. Amen. Rejoice in that. We hear all you guys out on the radio and the internet too, so we heard you. God has began a good work in us, and he has promised not only the power to save you and begin, not only the power to sustain you through it all, but the power to complete the work that he began. He's the author and the finisher. He's the alpha and the omega. God will complete the work that he began in you, or as the psalmist says, God will perfect that which concerns me. He'll perfect that in your life. It's not on your shoulders and your effort and your energy and your performance and your good works. Let's not forget where Jesus saved us from. It's always good to have a healthy dose of remembering where we came from and where we were, at least in our knowledge, where we were at our worst. Now, there probably was far worse times that we don't remember or we don't even know about, but that's only by the grace of God that he didn't put that in our heads. But I was thinking just, just recently, just in my mind thinking about where I came from and where I am now. And it reminded me of the solid, there, it, there's just no way anyone can talk me out of the work that God began. Now I have to say along the way, sometimes I can talk myself out of what God's doing now, which then will cause me to doubt what God might do in the future. And that's where you just get caught up in your head. you got to take every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ because your head will mess you up. I, oh, You guys are all looking at me like it's only me. All right, let me hide between this big pulpit, all right? It's just me. Is it just me? No, I hope not. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, <laughs> it's coming. This, listen. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free you will walk in the freedom of the Lord. Not only that, but you will be free, verse 36, indeed! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. What part do you have in your own salvation? None, God saves you. You believe God as he saves you, as he changes you. Sin is a cruel, hard master. But listen, only to those who serve sin. Only to those who are a slave to sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, it says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, that you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Real freedom comes by surrender to Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, there isn't anyone among us that can serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You, not, you cannot serve God and mammon. And I think by way of application, we can learn, you can't serve the spirit and the flesh. You've got to choose one. Real freedom isn't really seen in saying, well, I can do this if I want, or I can do that if I want. Don't judge me, brother. Let's just live in freedom, and let's just do whatever we want until we feel like we don't want to do that. That's not freedom. Real freedom is found in not thinking so highly of ourselves and in thinking of others. And in changing our behavior, thinking how it might affect someone else, not in flaunting our freedoms and not caring about other people and saying, Well, you know, that's just grace, brother. That's just grace. Go ahead and just have the freedom. Really? Where does that end? How about this? You shall know the truth, and God will give you freedom. And when He gives you freedom, you'll, to whom much is given, much is required. And to whom much is given, Jesus gives us that freedom in him daily, abiding in the word. It involves two things, studying the word and obeying it. And what do you come, what comes from that? Freedom. Freedom. We'll come back now to 2 Kings and let's just finish off a couple verses here and we'll finish off the chapter next time, Lord willing. Freedom. Freedom. You see the children of Israel were in this cycle and it's not just judges and it's not just kings, it's Today. This same cycle is repeated over and over again in those who call themselves believers and those who are believers. They choose to be a slave to sin, and God has given you a real deliverer. Verse 10 now. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoahash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 16 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did evil. Evil in the sight of the Lord did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did, his might which he fought against Amaziah, the king of Judah, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Which we'll get into 1st and 2nd Chronicles and see some of these things and how they overlap uh, should the Lord allow us in the future. But Joash rested with his fathers, and Jeroboam sat on his throne, and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. In the place of King Jehoahaz, now Jehoash reigns for another 16 years. And again, as we know with the kings of Israel, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil was his reign. And Jehoash also dies, and Jeroboam the second reigns in his place. And so we learn how important it is to have inward transformation. But I'm also reminded of another thing for those of us that have the ability to lead. Uh, and really, I think my perspective of the scriptures is that every Christian is a leader in some way or another. Every Christian has a place of leadership, that God has called us to be the head and not the tail. And in this world, in this world, a believer has the power of God in them that is far ahead of anyone that doesn't. And so how careful we need to be in how we lead. Because we can be one of two things. We can do evil in the sight of the Lord and be a horrible leader. Or we can reign in such a way in the righteousness and the holiness and the direction and the freedom of God. And no matter what level of relationship you have in leadership, that we might be known by our freedom and by our love and by the grace of God, and that we would truly live the transformed life, not the outward reformed life, not just changing our behavior so we can get along with someone or changing our behavior because we're in a church now or changing our behavior because we need to appease someone. There's a Bible word for that, where you're one thing in front of one person and another thing in front of another. You know what the Bible word is? hypocrisy. You're right. Or there's a lot of Bible words for that, but that's the most popular one. It it actually, hypocrisy comes to us from the Greek plays and the idea of, in a Greek play, one person would play many parts. And the way that they would change their part wasn't necessarily by changing their clothes, but they would put a mask in front of their face. And if they wanted to play a female part, they'd put a female mask in front of them. They wanted to put a male part, they'd put a male mask. And the idea of hypocrisy is to be two-faced, or to be masked is really the root of that word. But the power of the transforming work of Jesus Christ helps us to be just one person. Real, honest, walking in the power and the holiness of God. In all our faults and all our failures, humbly repenting. You know, we get dirtied up by the sins of the world and such. You know, we, we get all muddied up with our own mistakes. But then we take the Bible soap and we wash ourselves up. Anybody know what the Bible soap is? First John nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you need to take out the Bible soap right now and just confess your sins before the Lord
0: and let Him do His cleansing work in your life. Amen? You're listening to Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. We're going through 2 Kings right now. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit CalvaryAurora.org. Pastor Ed, you just got back from Israel. Would you mind giving our listeners some of the highlights? Oh, Larry,
1: Israel is an amazing trip. We were trying to count. I think I've taken groups for 12 or 13 years now, and this trip was a superb one. You know, we land in Tel Aviv and right off the plane after you brush your teeth and change your clothes real quick in the airport, we take off and we head down to Joppa and then we tour through Joppa. Of course, you know, Joppa brings to mind Jonah and Simon the Tanner and then off to Caesarea by the sea and then to the hotel and on day after day after day after day. And uh, one of the highlights for me is really not a scheduled stop as much as it is, a a location, and one of the mornings we take the group down before any of the other groups get up. Uh, We ask everyone to get up super early so we can go down to the, the Sea of Galilee and do our own personal devos right there at the water. Sometimes people choose to do it, do their devos in the water. It was a little bit cold this year, so there wasn't too many people in the water, but I did see a few, and it's so quiet and so serene. And the water's just lapping up on the rocks there and and you know there's a lot of stops that we that we go to, whether it's the Mount of Beatitudes or up at Mount Carmel or Megiddo or all the different stops in Jerusalem. But I have to say a highlight of the trip is on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, One of the other things, uh, highlights that I really love about uh, Israel is, well, there's a couple. We get to go into a private garden in the Garden of Gethsemane, and so they have a private area there to the left where you can have, we have a uh, time of worship, and then everyone gets to be, uh, everyone's released, they get to pray among the old olive trees that are there. And also we get to, when we come into Jerusalem, we're up on the Mount of Olives, uh, looking down on the Temple Mount, uh, and where we we actually use a guy's backyard that that we rent from him, and we have a real private, quiet place where we worship, and we study together um, all the significant places, or all the significant events that the Mount of Olives represents. And then we look to the eastern gate there, uh, which is just to the right of the Dome of the Rock, uh, the gate that is currently sealed, uh, but don't worry about that, because the original gate's underground anyway. The Lord's going to come right through that gate like He did uh, when the crowds uh, cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the Second Coming is going right through that gate and establish His kingdom. So I, I could go on and on. We could do the whole show on Israel. Maybe one day we will, but Um, if your church goes to Israel or you hear our trip and there's an opening, you got to go. It's a trip of a lifetime. You'll never, ever, ever, never, ever read the Bible the same again. Like Pastor Chuck Smith taught us, uh, a trip to Israel is like a year in seminary, and I agree. Uh, It's such a rich, rewarding time, so thanks for asking. Sounds
0: amazing. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this, you'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. As the title of the book would suggest, God's grace really does change everything in our lives. It's how we're birthed into the family of God and how we grow, too. It makes all the difference as you travel through the ups and downs of life. Call us right now so we can drop this in the mail to you. We're at eight seven seven three zero 30 grace This is amazing grace. Founding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado.